today, um, as Paul has been going through uh, Respectable, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges, um, today we're going to talk about selfishness. And so um, before we get started, let's pray one more time. Dear God, Lord, um, Lord, be with me here. Lord, as I preach your word, Lord, um, help me to be accurate and sound in my teaching, God. Um, and Lord, I pray um, for those in here, Lord, that they would have ears to hear. And God willing, Lord, they, they would be edified. Lord, we love you. And in the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Okay, so. Have you guys ever been so laser focused onto something? Think about when you're just so focused on, it might be, I don't know, schoolwork or um, anything really, right? And now, selfishness is a, is a very similar concept, except that laser focusedness is on yourself, okay? So, selfishness though, what is that? What is selfishness? Selfishness is being concerned excessively or exclusively for oneself or one's own advantage, pleasure, or welfare regardless of others, right? But what we really can just look at it, we can make it a lot more simple. It's selfishness is being concerned for oneself regardless of others, okay? Now, what's the opposite of selfishness? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the opposite of selfishness, right? I know for me, it's um, maybe just being less concerned with yourself, right? That's the definition, right? Or the opposite, rather. Though, this isn't necessarily wrong. I think that, uh, or rather, I don't think it really provides the full picture, especially biblically, of what the opposite of selfishness is, okay? Instead of being less concerned with yourself, I think the opposite of selfishness is maybe best thought of as being more concerned with everyone else, okay? So tonight, we'll be in Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Here, we see Paul was more concerned for the Philippians than he was himself, even though this was a time of trial for Paul. I don't know if um, how many of us know the context here of Philippians, or, or rather when Paul wrote it, Paul was imprisoned in Rome for the first time, right? He was imprisoned many times. This is the first time in Rome that he was imprisoned, and he had no idea what will happen to him, okay? He's not sure whether he'll live, whether he'll die, but we'll notice that the believers of the Philippian church also have a vested interest in Paul. Now, why might they be interested in Paul, or why might they care? Well, this was the church that Paul planted himself, and a church that has cared for Paul in the past in his times of need. And you see that as we go through this passage. Now, I think, see, you guys might have to bear with me in the slides. This is my first time actually teaching with PowerPoint. And so uh, I'm a couple things back. But anyway, so with that being said, despite, Paul, despite Paul's unfortunate circumstances, we see that He's concerned for the believers in Philippi. Now, friends, this is what I propose to you and something that um, has been on my heart as I was studying this, right? It's actually been really convicting. That 
We should be more concerned for others instead of ourselves, right? Now, how do we do this? How? How do we do this? In Philippians 1, 3 through 11, Paul displays three ways to be more concerned with others instead of ourselves, all right? The first way is to be more concerned for, or the first way is to be grateful for each other. Now, let's read verse 3 together. This is, again, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all, rem- in all my remembrance of you. Now, friends, when Paul thinks back on these Christians, these Christians in Philippi, he's thankful for them. But let's not ignore, right, who Paul thanks. I thank my God. I thank my God. Paul, he has a personal relationship with God, and this personal relationship with God, it influences everything, especially his relationship with others. I think that's why he kind of leads with it. But let's see the next phrase, right, again. The next phrase, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, this could be translated that Paul is always remembering them and therefore always thanking God for them. Do you have anyone like that? Maybe someone um, that when you think about it just leads you to worship. Maybe someone you haven't seen in a while. Maybe someone who's passed away even. Maybe it's someone you see every day. Maybe someone even in this room. That whenever you think of them, you just can't help but smile. You can't help but be grateful for them, right? Now, think of that person. Picture them. And by the way, not this, uh, like all churches, right, the, the Philippian church had people that weren't the easiest to be grateful for. Let's just be honest, right? Later in this letter, Paul mentions two women by name. And can you imagine being in the, the Holy Scriptures for all eternity and your name is mentioned as someone who's been difficult? Well, this is exactly um, what Paul does. He names two women that were causing strife in the church. Still, though, he proclaims that he's thankful in all his remembrance of them. Paul doesn't focus here on the bad. He chooses to dwell on those things about God that make him only grateful. Now, think back on that person that you thought of, okay? When thinking of them initially, did you think of any of the bad Well, no, right? Of course not. You thought of those things that you loved about them, those things that caused you to thank God for them. Now, this is how we ought to be with the people in our lives, even the difficult ones, right? Even the ones we don't click with or the ones that maybe mistreated us in the past. Trust me, I know that this isn't easy, and and Paul knows that too. We remember what people have done to us and how we've been hurt. But we aren't pretending that these things didn't happen, okay? We're choosing to look past these things. We want to motivate ourselves to show gratitude to God for them because God, our greatest friend, He knows our faults and yet He loves us. He doesn't hold those against us 
those of us who know him. Now, in verse 4, Paul expounds more on verse 3, saying that, I'm going to read verse 4 for us, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my, joy, making my prayer with joy. Now, there's two things to note right up front. That Paul is always praying for them, and two, that it's prayer with joy. It's joyful prayer. Okay, now, it might be a good exercise to remember, okay, who Paul was to fully appreciate this verse, okay? Paul was a Pharisee, and before he became a Christian, he hunted down and murdered Christians. Now, this same man, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, is now fervently praying for the very people he once hunted down, and he does so with thankfulness and with joy. Have there been times where you weren't a very good friend to someone? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think of myself, right? There's a lot of those times, honestly. Now, friends, we can't let that stop us from praying for them. Oftentimes we think that because we failed so miserably, that's something that there's no redeeming it, but that is a lie, right? That's just another way that our selfishness manifests itself in our lives. Friends, let's pray for and love those people that even we've hurt in the past. Remember, Paul is praying while on a house arrest, okay? He's chained up to a Roman guard. He cannot escape. His prayer, though, this didn't change his circumstances, okay? He was still there, imprisoned. But what his prayer did change was his spirit because while still in chains, he prays with joy, not dwelling on his circumstances, but on his sheep's, or rather, well, his sheep's, or his friend's participation in the gospel, as we see in verse 5, okay? Paul prays with joy because the gospel partnership of the Philippian believers. Now, 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm going to read those three verses again in order because it's one big idea. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the word partnership here in verse 5 in the Greek, it's the word koinonia. Now, how many of us have heard that word before? It's pretty like, it's a pretty popular Christian term, right? Koinonia, it also means fellowship, right? We see it in Acts 2.42. We see it, uh, actually, I think it's 17 times throughout the New Testament. Now, koinonia, to further kind of expound on that, it comes from the root meaning of to share, okay? Now, what could sharing... See, all that time I was supposed to be clicking through my PowerPoint. Excuse me. Now, sharing... What, what could it mean to possibly share in the gospel, though? Because that's what it says here in, in, uh, in verse 5, right? Because of your partnership or sharing in the gospel from the first day until now, right? 
So let's define sharing first before we go into sharing in the gospel and what that means. Sharing is participation in something either by giving what you have or receiving what you don't have. Give and take, okay? Remember this. We see in verse 5 that Paul describes the Philippians as fellow participants in the gospel. Now, Paul, when, when, when he, when, oh, oh, excuse me, Paul is grateful rather, okay, when he describes them as fellow participants of the gospel, and this brings them joy. Now, friends, to share in the gospel, okay, is to devote yourself to the mission of the gospel with those around you. As their friend, Paul is grateful for them, and he encourages them telling them of the joy their devotion to Christ brings. Now, we see here in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, look at this word fellowship here. This is the same word, koinonia, that we saw in verse 5. Okay? It tells us that we've been called into fellowship or koinonia with Jesus, okay? Now, think back to how we liken koinonia fellowship to sharing, giving what you have to another person or receiving what he has. Jesus called us into koinonia with himself. Christ has given and he's taken. What's he given and what's he's taken? He's taken our sins on Himself on the cross and has given us His perfect righteousness, His perfect obedience, okay? Christ, He sacrificed for us. This is koinonia, okay? This is partnering in the gospel. And partnering in the gospel isn't just coming to Sunday mornings, coming to Sunday nights, to to college group, um, and just, and, and, you know, in small groups. Now, all those things are great. All those things are good, and I would encourage us all to do those things. But those alone are not koinonia. Partnering in the gospel is hunkering down in the mud with each other. It's staying put through the hard work of discipleship and service and commitment to one another. It's waiting through the messiness of pain and suffering and sin with each other. Life is not easy by any means. I'm sure we we all can understand that and agree. But this is what we're called to do. And this is what God, the perfect friend, is what He does with us. We should aim to do the same with the people God puts in front of us. Now, as fellow partners in the gospel with God's people, we are bound to grow in love for them, right, and for each other. The first way to be more concerned for others instead of ourselves is through the gratitude we have for them. This providentially leads into the second way to be more concerned for others. We encourage them or encourage each other. And we see this in verses 6 
through 8. I'm going to start with verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure we've all heard that many times. Now, in verse 6, Paul says that he is confident that God will perfect the good work he started in the Philippian believers and in us. Participate, or partnership, rather, in the gospel isn't easy like we talked about before, and Paul knows this. We ought to know this too and to keep the truth that Christ will complete His work in us when He returns. And He will return. The good work of the gospel is hard, but there is a finish line, friends, and Christ will sustain us and build us up until we reach it. But what does this imply? It implies that no one has reached the finish line. No one's reached it yet. We see in Paul's encouragement for the Philippians a, a conviction for them that reveals his own humility and his own patience for them. We're all actively growing, okay? And before you grow critical of someone thinking that they should be doing something that they're not or serving more or loving you more, remember that they are growing and it's Christ who will complete them. Now, when things get hard and people seem to be getting on your nerves, remind yourself that God is working on you just as much as He's working on them. And they might have very similar gripes. Trust me, we all have areas of improvement. Remember this about yourself so that you can be humble and gracious, just like Paul was, as we see here in verse 6. Now, back I want us to think back to verse 3, right? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There Paul tells the Philippians that they are constantly and continually on his mind, okay? Remembering them. Now in verse 7, Paul tells them that they are on his heart, specifically for their service to God and their service to him while he's been imprisoned. Let's go ahead and read uh, verse 7 together. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul, he justifies verse 6 with how he holds them in his heart because through their service, it's clear that they're on the same team. In his time of greatest need, they were there. Let's be sure to recognize others when they serve us, okay? God will use them in our lives in ways just as pivotal as He'll use us in theirs. We also see the Philippians were defending and confirming the gospel message, okay? Man, these people... They seem to be very sold out, right, for the mission of the gospel, for for Christ's mission. They were loving God. They were loving each other. They were loving Paul. 
We see here in, in Paul's encouragement and love for this church that they also have a strong love for Paul, right? Friends, let's die to ourselves. Let's serve others. Let's serve each other. And let's not be surprised, right, when they serve you in return one day. This is what we're seeing. Now, again, I want to be careful. Is getting served the, in return, our motivation, right? When we go to serve somebody or love somebody, is the, is the thing at the end saying, well, hopefully they'll just love me back one day. That's not our motivation, right? Or at least it shouldn't be. I know that's been my motivation before. There will be times that you won't be served in return. That's just, that's life. It's going to happen. But just a chapter later in Philippians 2, Paul says this. This is actually Philippians 2, verse 3. Here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves. Friends, I am called to look at all of you and think that you are more important than I am. That is what this is saying. You're more important than me. Now, obviously, this is a, we're all called to this extreme level of humility. But then we might ask ourselves, right, well, who will love me this way if I can't love me this way, right? Who's going to look after me if I'm so worried and you guys are so much more important than I am? Well, where am I? Who will have my interest at heart? Who will have my back? Uh, but remember, verse 7 says that we are partakers of grace with each other, okay? Now, follow me. This, this grace, right, this partaking of grace, this is the grace from God, giving us the eternal life that we do not deserve. God counting us as more important than even himself. He died for us. So when we ask, who will love me this way? Who will have my best interest at heart? Friends, God will. God has you in his heart. When it seems like no one else is, has your back, just know that. This is why we can do this. This is why our call is to look at each other as more important. Because God has you. It doesn't matter what, honestly, what you, what you guys think of me. Because I know what God thinks of me. We have to trust that. And it won't matter who isn't loving you. And here, you'll find that you can love others because your Savior loves you. Now, Paul goes on in verse 8, okay, to further expound on this love for these Christians, okay? So let's go ahead and read verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul wanted there to be no doubt how much he loves the Philippian church here, right? This is a claim. What a claim. The Greek here conveys that word affections, right? Affection. It says it's uh, like bowels, right? It's like your internal organs. It's something that comes from deep, deep within. 
That idea alone would have been enough, right, to, comp- to convey Paul's love for them. That would have been enough. But you see at the end, he drops a huge bombshell, right? The affection of Christ Jesus. His love for them is so strong that he claims the very affections of Jesus himself. He loves them like Jesus loves them. And Jesus loved us to the point of death. And even beyond that. Romans 5, 5 says this, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. By God's grace, Paul is able to love them with the affections of Christ, the very love of God, and he tells them this, right? They know how Paul feels about them. Friends, if we have placed our trust in Jesus and believed in him as Lord and as Savior, the love of God has been poured out into our own hearts, Let us love each other like this because how else can we feel about each other? It's only right for us to feel this way. Exactly what Paul says. Can we really trust and look out at our friends and claim that if you ask them that, yeah, you know, Sage has loved you, has loved me like Christ has loved me. Now, obviously, We're not asking that you would die for me, but there should be this level of this knowing, this comfort that, yeah, I know, hopefully that Sage would do anything for me because the Philippians had no doubt that that was Paul's mindset for them and love for them. Man, think about when someone, this is like a really small illustration, right? Think about when someone just does you a favor, when someone really goes out of their way to serve you. What's that do to you? How do you feel? It motivates you to love them, right? It motivates you to to serve that person and be grateful for that person. When you love like Christ intends for you to love, people around you will feel that and be drawn to love you too. It's right here when our affections for them are enriched and enhanced And we are reminded of the very love God poured out on us when he poured his wrath out on himself. This is the affection of Christ and the affections we ought to have for others and each other. So, so far we've covered two ways to be more concerned for others instead of ourselves. First, we should be grateful for each other. Second, we should encourage each other. And the third and final way for us to be, to be concerned for others instead of ourselves is that we should pray for our other, each other. And we see that in the, the last verses of this passage, 9, 10, and 11. So I'll start with 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Remember, Paul's already described how well the Philippians love God, how well they've loved him, and how well they've served him, right? Um, And yet here we see in verse 9, he's still 
praying for them, and that their love would continue to grow. And now, he's not saying this. Again, he's mentioning how great they've been loving him. He's not saying this because there's a deficit, right? They're not deficient in love, but because, friends, to love as a believer is so very important. It literally defines us as Christians. We need to love each other, okay? So, there's no wonder that Paul prays this over them. Now, the word love here is agape. Does anybody know what agape is? Have you heard that word before at the very least? Right? Okay. Agape love is the highest form of love that we see in Scripture. In the Greek, there's all these different types of love. So in, in English, right, when you think of the word love, I can say, I love pizza. And I can also say, I love you, Mariah, which is my wife. In context, right, you would know what that means, but it's the same word I'm using. But in the Greek, there's different types of words that you use for different types of love. So it's very pointed, very specific, okay? So agape here is the highest form of that, okay? It's a deep and undying love. This is a forever love. This is the love that God has for us. This is actually a love that comes that's unprompted, that comes from within just because. This love is action, all right? It's not just words. This is the love that Paul prays, right? It's the same love that we see here, that Paul prays will grow still more and more within the Philippians. And notice, what's the subject of this love? What's the subject of this agape love? Is it love for Paul? Is it love for each other? Maybe it's love for God. What? There's no subject. The subject is all of the above. When Paul prays that their love would abound more and more, think of an overflowing cup just like this. Okay, cool. I, hope, I was hoping it would work. Now, now think of an overflowing cup, right? In every facet of our lives with all people in all situations, our love should generously overflow out of the lip of our cup. Like a never-ending geyser, it's flooding into all parts of our life. This is how Paul prays for the Philippians. If we prayed this prayer for each other, all bases would be covered. This agape love is the overflowing cup where just, just think about this, where, where water spills out, splashing everywhere. It's dripping off the table. It's a mess. Paul isn't praying for empty love here, and you'll notice. He prays this love would grow with real knowledge and all discernment, right here in verse 9. Now, this is a love that is influenced and governed by the truth of Scripture. It's knowledge that comes from the study of God's Word and discernment so that they know what to do with it. Guys, let's pray for each other that we would know what the Word says about God because when we better understand God, we better understand who we are 
and the gospel will shine that much brighter in our souls. Paul is praying that God would teach them how to truly love. We must pray the same for each other. Now, let's think through some, what are some examples of love without discernment? Feel free to just spit, spit some out or don't spit at me, but say anything out or not. It's fine. Now, one example that I thought of was when I have friends that are in sin, I don't say anything. Um, or when I'm in sin and I have friends that don't tell me anything, I know I'm in sin and yet you're my friend. Love me. Tell me. When we let, we, it's like, it, it's in this example where we're letting people continue to sin and maybe our reasons are, you know, we just are afraid to lose out on that friendship. We don't want to be judged. We're maybe afraid that that, you know, person won't want anything to do with us anymore. I, I mean, I know that's, for me, I have this fear of man sometimes. I want to maintain this friendship, but if I confront them, now, love with discernment, right? This discerning love will produce holiness. Discerning love teaches us how to approach people, not in judgment, but in love. They should know that about us. And Paul prays this so that they would approve what is excellent. It's right here in verse 10. Let's go ahead and look at that. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, guys, have you ever seen um, a cashier, right? You give them a, a bill. Maybe it's a $100 bill. Usually it's like with the, the higher bills. And you give it to them and they, they put it up to the light. Make sure it's real, right? They're testing it. Now, how about when we buy a car? You guys have bought cars, right, in the past? You test drive it. You're not going to buy something without making sure that it works, right? Or at the very least, that you like how it drives. Or maybe when you're buying clothes, right? I hope, I try not to buy clothes if I don't try it on just to make sure I look kind of okay, you know? Now, before committing to anything, Paul is saying the same thing to approve it, to test it. This is good for us to apply to ourselves, but this is especially something we must pray for each other. That we would put everything to the test to make sure it's not only good, but it's the best for our minds, for our hearts, and for our lives. And like verse 9 specifies, the standard here is knowledge and discernment only from the Word, from the Scriptures, that we would agree with and endorse those things that are right in God's eyes. And you'll see here in verse 11, it's, uh, it's just an amazing bookend to this passage. I'll read all three of them. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer here is for the believers in Philippi to stay in fellowship with the one who produces fruit. 
Paul prays that obedience would grow out of our lives. But Paul is also quick here to mention where this fruit of righteousness stems from, okay? Our very own Stephen Davey, he put it this way, fruit doesn't appear on a tree limb because that limb tried really, really hard to pop out some fruit. Fruit simply hangs from that limb because the limb is connected to the tree. Jesus in John 15, 5, he says it this way, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, it only depends on our connectedness to Christ that we bear fruit of righteousness or any fruit. Christ is our tree. He's our root. Like the Philippians, we've been called to fellowship in Christ. God's good work begins, is founded, and continues through Christ. But the last part of verse 11, it reveals the fruit of all fruits. To the glory and praise of God. These fruit of righteousness come from Christ. They glorify Him, and He uses us to glorify Himself. And I say this humbly because I know there's nothing inside of me that warrants any of this. How privileged are we that the creator of the universe would use us for His perfect purposes? What a gracious God that we serve. And there, right? There we are. I'm, I'm, I'm responding in praise, right? How glorious is our God that sinners like you and me can be loved by Him and in turn love Him back and love others like He loves them, bearing fruit of righteousness. Let's pray for others that they would embrace their rebirth in Christ and produce fruitful obedience. Now, oh man, in closing, let's not wait until school starts or we have our careers or we found our spouse. This message reveals Paul's heart as someone more concerned with others. He not only prayed for the Philippians, but he modeled the very things he prayed for. Let's care for each other, right? Let's be not laser-focused on ourselves, but on everyone else. Friends, we will be grateful for each other, we will encourage each other, and we will pray for each other. And let's also do these things with those people in our lives that may not have a relationship with Christ. We're called to count others as more important than ourselves. Let's leave selfishness behind and do what we were called to do, knowing that Christ has done and is doing the very same thing for us.
All right, let's pray. Dear God, um, Lord, we love you. Help us to depend on you, Lord. Help us to uh, recognize that you, you sacrificed it all for us, Lord. You loved us like no one has before, no one ever will. Lord, help us to, to love each other like you love us. God, we love you so much. And in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.